And we start the show with a buzzard message. Buzzard writes in, How did we not get a Fantasy Mansion rant about Aaron Nagler on the last show? I lost a bet. And if you'd like to send the show an email, fire away, rotounderworld at gmail.com or tweet us at rotounderworld on Twitter. Then most importantly, join the Buzzard community. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Search Podfather. Join the community, and as part of the deal, you get a Roto Underworld t-shirt or hoodie, and you can opt for the buzzard-themed gear. If you're feeling the buzzard juices gurgling inside you and you want to bother me with this kind of message, because what am I, some kind of rant piano bar? Oh, we need to rant here. Let's call Fantasy Mansions. We'll put a werewolf light in the sky And we know any minute now, Fantasy Mansion will show up in his werewolf mobile, ready to rant. Just point Fantasy Mansion in a direction and say, rant, and he'll rant. No! I guess I have carved out a career criticizing most fantasy analysts. So, I can see why you would turn to me to criticize Aaron Nagler. What did Aaron Nagler do? He mocked fantasy analysts. Paraphrasing, he said, it's cute when fantasy analysts think they know anything about football condescending, belittling tweet from Aaron Nagler. And I loved it because I love condescending, belittling tweets. Anytime someone wants to send a condescending, belittling tweet, I'm probably going to favorite it. I think I favorited that tweet from Aaron Nagler. I was sitting at my computer at home just agreeing, nodding, yes, Aaron Nagler. Preach, Aaron. Because I generally agree with Aaron Nagler. Most fantasy football analysts don't understand what they're watching and their analysis is just as far-fetched And just as infected with confirmation bias and all the crutches and traps that we talk about as the typical beat reporter. So if you picked a fantasy analyst at random from the community, Aaron Nagler's probably right. And this is why most members of the mainstream sports media do not respect fantasy analysts. And I don't respect most fantasy analysts. But I also don't respect most beat reporters. And if I had to choose, I would choose... Fantasy Analyst X over the Aaron Naglers of the world, if I had to judge who has the superior football knowledge. It's definitely not Aaron Nagler. The best fantasy analysts, the top of the food chain, are more knowledgeable than the obsolete newspaper relics like Aaron Nagler, who cover the washed-up figureheads like Ted Thompson. And I say we because you noticed I put myself in that elite fantasy analyst category. Yes, of course. I do this show because I think that I am one of the best fantasy analysts. If I didn't think that, I wouldn't be doing a show. So of course I believe that I am one of the best of the best. If there was a Top Gun flight school for fantasy analysts in Miramar, California, I would be invited. And at that school, I would show people how to rant in front of a microphone because I seem to be the only one that's qualified to rant against someone like Aaron Nagler But I'm not going to do it just because you asked me to, just because it's expected. Do you really think that I'm going to sit here and just say the thing that's expected? For how many years have I sat in front of this microphone saying the thing no one else is saying? And now today you think that I'm just going to start ranting against Aaron Nagler because that's the expectation? Today, that's when I become a rant piano bar, yes. Just play the hits. Give us a rant. No, I will not. Because what Aaron Nagler said wasn't particularly objectionable, and I don't take people like Aaron Nagler seriously. Another buzzard writes in. Patrick Mahomes' footwork, so much worse than Derek Carr's. They're not even comparable. Really? I have QB footwork experts in my audience? Think about that. If there was a QB footwork expert out there, do you think that person would be listening to Roto Underworld Radio with Matt Kelly, whose Twitter avatar is a werewolf drinking a martini wearing a tuxedo? No, no. So whoever you are, you don't know shit about footwork. And if you think you know shit about footwork, you're delusional and you need to do something else as a hobby. 
literally anything else. But whatever you're doing now, analyzing the footwork of football players, stop doing it. You're accomplishing nothing. You're helping no one. How is it that you think you're so much smarter than the QB mechanics experts that are actually in the industry? Fuck out of here. But thousands of you, many of you that listen to this show, are saying something similar to this person on social media. Yet no fantasy football analyst is qualified to critique a quarterback's footwork. Here again is where I agree with the obsolete newspaper relic Aaron Nagler. And even if you could accurately evaluate a quarterback's footwork, we don't know how much great footwork versus bad footwork actually impacts a quarterback's ability to throw. And we don't know how easy or difficult it is for quarterbacks to develop better football habits at the next level. So is this an easily fixable flaw or is it a fatal flaw? We don't know. We don't even know if it is a flaw. And even if we did know it was a flaw, we don't know how fixable it is. Therefore, it cannot be part of our quarterback evaluation. I discussed this on the late round podcast with JJ Zacharyson. Go to Numberfire, check out their new podcast network, episode three, Matt Kelly with JJ Zacharyson. We talked about measurables. We talked about it like it's something new to football, which is amazing to me because it is pretty new. People caring about measurables. People caring about things you can actually measure. Somehow that's new. Football analysis used to revolve around what some guy thinks he saw. That was it. Football analysis in a nutshell. Here's something some guy thinks he saw. Guy with a clipboard thought he saw Patrick Mahomes throw off his back foot. Oh, no. (laughs) Meanwhile, many Aaron Rodgers throws are off his back foot. And Patrick Mahomes can throw the ball 70 yards off his back foot. Problem? And what JJ and I talked about is there still remains this striking dichotomy across the football analysis landscape. Those that are reporting what they think they saw on the football field and those of us that are analyzing football players based on things we can measure. That's why you can stop asking football guys Sigmund Bloom to, quote, get me on the couch. I can't tell you how many tweets I've read where listeners reached out to Sigmund Bloom pleading with him to get Fantasy Mansion, quote, on the couch. Why? Why do you want me on the couch? I don't care about being on the couch. I've never once thought about being on the couch until I started receiving these tweets. And still, I have no desire to be on the couch. Certainly, if someone like Sigmund Bloom, who's well-respected in the industry, wants to have me on his podcast, I would say yes. But the fact remains that football guys and player profiler exist on opposite ends of the football analysis spectrum. If we're making Venn diagrams, there's very little overlap between player profiler and football guys. Sigmund Bloom doesn't even follow me on Twitter, so you know right there He's not interested in what I have to say. He's not interested in my type of football analysis. It conflicts with his sensibilities. And I don't revere football guys. I started getting serious about football analysis in 2013. I'm in my 30s. Think about that. I'm new to this game. I see fantasy football with relatively fresh eyes. And that may be why playerprofiler.com came into existence. Because I looked around and thought, wow, something like playerprofiler.com needs to exist. I can't believe it doesn't exist. But I didn't grow up in this community. I'm the new guy on the block. And I've never understood the fascination with football guys. I know it was a big deal 15 years ago. I get it. They did some seminal work a long, long time ago. But I've never perceived Sigmund Bloom or anyone at Football Guys as a thought leader in the industry. When I think of Football Guys, I think of one of the pioneers in fantasy football strategy. The term value-based drafting coined by Football Guys, that's incredibly impressive. But the analysis I read from Football Guys revolves around film scouting, anecdotal analysis, and observations we can't measure. That's the mentality and approach that we are desperately trying to change at playerprofiler.com. In a world of competing ideas, Football Guys is a rival to playerprofiler.com. It's not a partner. This idea that we're all in it together, that we are all 
in this shared misery that is fantasy football where everyone in the industry is underpaid and underappreciated. And those in the mainstream sports analysis business, like Aaron Nagler, will never appreciate us. So we need to band together as one and have each other's backs. And it's Matt Kelly's duty to step up and rant against Aaron Nagler when he criticizes the industry. That's no longer true. Since the rise of daily fantasy sports, there's plenty of money in this industry. So this idea that we all need to work together and not criticize one another is a false narrative. It's a false narrative evangelized by analysts who would rather minimize competition and halt the evolution of fantasy football analysis. Keep it film-based. Keep it anecdotal. But in the last few years, Player Profiler and Rotoviz have come along and we're challenging these anachronistic ideas. And we're siphoning the customers away from your dad's fantasy website. So I don't blame those websites if they don't want to have me on their podcast and give my site more publicity and exposure. If I were Sigmund Bloom, the first thing I would do is follow me because he doesn't, because my tweets are both interesting and hilarious. By the way, you can follow me directly at fantasy underscore mansion, Sigmund. So if I were Sigmund Bloom, the first thing I would do is follow Fantasy Mansion, and then I would make sure to never have Fantasy Mansion on the couch. But just because I have no desire to be on the couch doesn't mean we can't have some fun with Sigmund Bloom. I love a great opportunity to mobilize the Roto Underworld minions. So I think you should be tweeting at Sigmund Bloom, asking him if he follows Fantasy Mansion. Asking him why he hasn't had Fantasy Mansion on the couch yet. I mean, be friendly, be cheeky, be funny. Don't be a dick. Sigmund Bloom's a great guy. But I would love for Sigmund Bloom to open up Twitter and just wonder... What the hell inspired so many random individuals to insist that I engage with Fantasy Mansion? What the fuck is going on here? And we talked about how Aaron Nagler covers Ted Thompson, and Aaron Nagler does not want to hear criticism of Ted Thompson. Aaron Nagler is here to tell you that Ted Thompson has drafted some terrific defensive players in the last few years because the offensive players certainly have not worked out. Except Jeff Janis. That was a great pick. It's not Ted Thompson's fault that Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers don't appreciate Jeff Janis. But Thompson drafted Devontae Adams over Allen Robinson. And right there you knew. Right there you had an idea. Woo! This Ted Thompson's just winging it. Year before that, he drafted running backs with back-to-back picks in the middle rounds. Eddie Lacy and Jonathan Franklin. Whoopsie! And we talked about this reality sports online league that I'm launching, a listener league for the audience. And I asked you all to email me why you think you're smarter than an NFL GM. Why are you smarter than Ted Thompson, for example? And as it turns out, a lot of you think you're smarter than an NFL general manager, but you'd like the experience of being an NFL general manager. And that's what's great about reality sports online is it's one of the most powerful platforms out there for fantasy sports, and it allows owners to build and manage fantasy teams as if they were an NFL general manager. That's because Reality Sports Online was created by NFL front office personnel, and they have a revolutionary free agent auction room. So this Listener League is launching in May, and the startup draft is an auction. So in that way, it mimics NFL free agency. I'm excited about that. And then we sign these players to single or multi-year contracts. And the platform can support up to 32 teams. Now, we're only going to have 12 teams. We're not doing a 32-team league. But some of you want to mimic a real sports league and have 32 teams. Well, Reality Sports Online supports that. They also have other cool features. Rookie drafts, multi-team trades, franchise tag, injured reserve, automated contract and salary cap functionality. And they have a 14-day trial. So even though registration has closed for the Roto Underworld Listener League, I think you should consider moving your Dynasty League to Reality Sports Online. Go to realitysportsonline.com now. Enter the code UNDERWORLD and receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at Reality Sports Online. Now, we talked about how Aaron Nagler is an obsolete relic, the beat reporter. Well, that role has been replaced by the modern sports blogger. So that's who I want to talk to today. We're going to talk to Marcus Mosier. 
He's the next evolution of the NFL beat reporter. He is the modern sports blogger who specializes in a particular team, the Dallas Cowboys. He writes for Bleacher Report, and we're going to talk to him about all things Cowboys. Follow Marcus Mosier at Marcus underscore Mosier on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program, Marcus Mosier. Marcus Mosier is a featured columnist at Bleacher Report, and his focus is the Dallas Cowboys. So what we're going to do today, it's new to Roto Underworld Radio, never done this kind of segment before, a single team focus. Put a single team under the microscope with Marcus Mosier. Talk to me, Marcus. Matt, how you doing? I'm intrigued by these Cowboys. I really am. I'm not a Cowboy fan necessarily, but the franchise has been relevant for as long as I can remember, and it seems that every year more things happen with the Cowboys than any other team. I think that's because their owner wants to be a public figure, and a lot of owners do not, so I think that's part of it. But I also just think that by happenstance, the moon and the stars align a lot with the Cowboys to either create controversy or enter the news stream somehow, some way. So can you put your finger on the one reason above all others that the Cowboys are such an intriguing franchise? Well, I don't know if it's just one reason, but the biggest reason is that they're just the NFL's soap opera. Every single week, the Cowboys have some kind of story coming out. And a big reason of that, why that happens is because they have the biggest media of all the 32 teams. You're constantly getting stories. Um, you're getting parting stories about Ezekiel Elliott. You're getting stuff about Jason Garrett and Tony Romo not getting along. Every single day we get something out of Dallas that is newsworthy, and we're always clicking on articles, reading about it. That's always on NFL Network. They are the soap opera of the NFL. Where is your microphone right now? Are you scratching at your microphone? Where is your microphone? I feel like your microphone might be waving in the wind somehow. Let's try it now. Is it better now? Yeah. I don't know what happened there, but it sounded like paper was crinkling. Better. This is amazing. This is great. I'm glad I spoke up because (laughs) rest in peace, Tony Romo, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time from an efficiency standpoint. Yes, I understand. He doesn't have the counting stats because he didn't play as many games as a lot of these other QB lifers like... Brett Favre and soon Tom Brady, soon Drew Brees. They dwarf Tony Romo in the counting stat department, but looking at efficiency, Tony Romo, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Should Tony Romo be in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Okay, just get that out of the way. Yeah, absolutely. Is that too hot of a take to start the pot off with, though, that Romo should be in the Hall of Fame? No, I wanted to get that out of the way. We're very sporty today. I wanted to go very okay. sporty. We're just going to go America's team, super sporty. And I want to make sure that we start with the cliche questions and then we'll work our way into more unique angles at looking at different things because I have some some pretty interesting ideas I want to run by you soon. Now, one interesting rumor that I heard was that Jerry Jones refused to deal Tony Romo to Houston because he was worried about the Texans siphoning fans and merchandise and just interest. He didn't want them to gain relevance in any way. That was the reason why he wouldn't let Tony Romo go to the Texans. Is that a rivalry that I just didn't know existed? Well, it is a rivalry. However, that rumor is not true. Dallas would have loved to trade Romo to Houston, but Houston did not want to part with a sixth or seventh round pick for Tony Romo. Apparently, what they thought, yeah, I, I know how crazy that sounds, but apparently they were only interested in signing Romo to a game-by-game contract, basically where they pay Romo about a million dollars per game if he played, if he hit free agency. They did not want to part with the draft pick. They did not want to pay his reasonable salary at, I think, at 18 million or whatever it was at. But no, Dallas would have loved to trade Romo to Houston. Just didn't work out. So Houston could not absorb the Tony Romo contract, and that's where negotiations broke down. They absolutely could. They've got the cap space to do it. They just decided not to. Right. They, for whatever reason, felt that they couldn't, quote-unquote, afford Tony Romo's contract, even though they had the cap space, and they don't have a quarterback. He was the only choice 
Now they have to pursue Colin Kaepernick or Jay Cutler. Those are downgrades from Tony Romo. This is from the team that just spent $50 million on Brock Osweiler. Now, now of all times, now is when you want to start becoming frugal with your quarterback dollars. Now, last year, no, we were spending maximum, we were spending the most on the least a year ago, and now we're refusing to spend a mere $18 million on Tony Romo. That, to me, is why bad franchises stay bad, and we're seeing in Dallas why good franchises stay good. They can have down times, but the Dallas Cowboys have typically been in the top half of the league. They've been a competitive franchise most years. They have a unique ability to recognize talent. Jerry Jones, I think, if he, you can criticize a lot of the things that he does, but he does have an eye for talent. Absolutely. Looking at the wide receiver position, I think that there is a need at the flanker position. They re-signed Terrence Williams, but I don't think Terrence Williams is the long-term answer across from Des Bryant. I don't count Cole Beasley in this situation because Cole Beasley is the slot wide receiver, and he's great at it. He's one of the best slot receivers in the league. But in terms of you're having that other outside wide receiver across from Des Bryant, I think there's a need there. I think they may look at Josh Gordon. Is that a possibility? This is a team that signed Greg Hardy. They do not have some of the same morality clauses when they're signing players. All right, well, two things. First of all, they believe they are set at receiver. Um, of their 30 visits that they have pre-draft, only one has been for a receiver, and that's Juju Smith-Schuster from USC. Um, they feel pretty set at receiver. Um, however, Jerry Jones is a known gambler, and Josh Gordon is a freak talent. Now, what's interesting about Josh Gordon is that the Cowboys actually really liked him in back in 2012. They had a second-round grade on Josh Gordon coming into the supplemental draft. They placed a third-round pick in the draft order, or however you want to say it. Um, they just got outbid by Cleveland by a couple spots. So if Cleveland doesn't put that bid in, you're seeing Josh Gordon opposite of Des Bryant back in 2013. So they had interest before. I think it's probably gone now. Um, would it be fantastic to see? Absolutely. I don't know how you stop Des Bryant, Josh Gordon, Cole Beasley in the slot with Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott in the backfield. That would be a lot of fun. I don't think it's realistic, but I think for the next two or three years, you will see Terrence Williams on the outside. It's not flashy. It's not exciting, but he fits as the Z receiver in Dallas. Um, I just think they're going to move forward with that and use their assets on defense in the next couple of seasons. That's interesting. A little behind the scenes in the draft room, or in this case, the supplemental draft war room with the Cowboys. I did not know that Josh Gordon was almost a Dallas Cowboy. They wanted him really, really bad. Really, really bad. You and I were talking on Twitter a few months ago about the Cowboys evaluation of Dak Prescott during the pre-draft process. And you said something that I did not believe. And with most people, I would not have believed it. I just simply would not have believed it. I would have dismissed it out of hand. But because it's you and you know the Cowboys, I believed it. You said that the Cowboys scouts wanted to draft Jeff Driscoll from Florida, who then transferred to Louisiana Tech, mm -hmm. but that Dez and Michael Irvin convinced Jerry Jones to override the scouts and draft Dak Prescott. That happened? Sort of. Let me give you the backstory of what happened. So the scouts had Jeff Driscoll ahead of Dak Prescott. That is absolutely true. Um, I believe they had uh, that's I know it's crazy to think about it, but they had Jeff Driscoll in the third round. They had back at the yeah, they you can laugh, but listen, this actually happens in the NFL. They 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 love their prototypical tall, big arm, white quarterbacks. And Jeff Driscoll absolutely had a third round grade from the Dallas Cowboy Scouts. What happened was Des Bryant went to Will McClay, who was basically the Cowboys GM. And texted him and said, hey, this, this that guy, kid, he's a, he's a real deal. I think you need to go after him. Uh, Michael Irvin did the same thing to Jerry Jones before the draft. As the draft was unfolding and the Cowboys missed out on trading for Paxton Lynch, they missed out on Connor Cook. It got to the fourth round and Dallas was deciding between Driscoll and Prescott. Oh. Uh, scouts, Stephen Jones wanted Driscoll. Scott Linehan and Wade Wilson, the Cowboys quarterback coach, argued and argued and argued for Dak Prescott. And they said, hey, if you, if you want us to coach a quarterback, let us pick him. They decided Dak. 
and the rest is history. So it was a coalition of ex-players and a couple coaches that overrode Jerry Jones' son and the scouting complex. Correct. That's fascinating. I love this. I love this. I love this. I love this. So I'm looking for more of this. these insider nuggets from you. Why not Ezekiel Elliott? Started with Dak Prescott. Let's go Ezekiel Elliott. Because I think the perception is that Ezekiel Elliott is recklessly rampaging through life. I think that, I think I said that mm-hmm. on this show. And it seems every six months there's something. The latest is that he pulled a woman's shirt down on a parade float. And there have been rumors. I haven't talked on the air about the specific rumors, but I keep hearing that whispers that he may be suspended or that people in the NFL are bracing for a suspension and then nothing happens. He's not suspended. I don't have many sources, but I just have a few people that once in a while will jump into my DMs and say, watch for something with Ezekiel Elliott And then I see these things happen, like on DMZ. I saw the parade float thing. And I was like, oh, my God, there it is. And then nothing. And then it's just this guy's Teflon. Will he be suspended in the next couple years if you had to guess? Man, that's such a tough question. I want to say no, but I don't think it's an accident that the Cowboys are quietly looking at some of the running backs in this draft class. Curtis Samuel was a pre-draft visit by the Cowboys, a guy that they absolutely love. Um, they've done their homework on Joe Mixon. They've looked at Samaj P. Ryan. Oh my God. Samaj P. Ryan behind that offensive line would be really good. Yeah. It's a fantastic fit. Oh my God. That's the fit of the fits. <laughs> I don't think anything's going to, if I had to bet, I would say no, but the NFL basically has an open case on Elliot and they're just building it and building it and building it in case something bigger happens. Uh, we've had some little incidents behind the scene, but nothing that is too scary for the NFL, but they're just building a case. Um, I think Elliot's a 21 year old kid who is the star of Dallas right now and he's loving life. Hopefully he settles down as the season comes around and as he gets older, but don't be shocked if Dallas grabs a running back higher than you would expect. Uh, I think last year they drafted Darius Jackson in the sixth round, not because they thought he was a great talent, but just to cover themselves in case something were to happen with Elliott. Uh, They still have Alfred Morris. They still have Darren McFadden. They're doing their homework on some of these running backs. There's been whispers that Peterson may visit in the next couple weeks. We'll see. I just, Elliott is a guy that you have to just know at any time something could pop up. And that's kind of scary if you're the Cowboys and if you're a fantasy football owner. A dynasty owner. I own Ezekiel Elliott in dynasty leagues, so I am worried, but all you can do is worry. The suspension would be probably four games. If a guy's going to get suspended, the first suspension is typically four games, and sometimes it gets negotiated down to two or three. You saw that with Le'Veon Bell recently. So it wouldn't be the end of the world if he got suspended, but then the second suspension could be a year. It's ugh. You know, but I treat it like an injury, like some players are a bigger injury risk than others because of an injury history. Well, Ezekiel Elliott is a suspension risk more than other players because he has a history going back to Ohio State where it's just clear that he doesn't process consequences like most people. But that's also the mindset that you want in a running back. Mm -hmm. So he lives his life like a running back, I would think, lives his life. When a running back lives his life like Arian Foster, that to me is surprising because I would expect every running back to have the disposition on a parade float, in a bar, wherever he is, that Ezekiel Elliott does because to play that position, you have to be a little bit crazy. You can't care about what happens to you tomorrow if you play the running back position. So that's why I think this whole Ezekiel Elliott melodrama has just been smoldering the last couple of years. It's why I think it's very interesting because it doesn't surprise me a bit that a running back would be wired like this. So that's also the reason why I didn't agree with the Cowboys drafting Ezekiel Elliott in the first place because that position is largely populated by crazy people because it's a very violent position, maybe the most violent position in all of sports, NFL running back, high injury rates, high turnover rates, typically pretty disposable. And when you look at 
the salary cap spending, it's not perceived as a valuable position by NFL teams, yet the Cowboys are investing the number four pick overall in that position. So I thought that was curious last year. And retroactively looking back at the draft and second guessing, I thought, well, what they should have done if we had tomorrow's newspaper is draft Jalen Ramsey and then Derrick Henry in the second round. But Cowboys fans hate that take. Yes, they do. With a passion that burns in hell, they hate that sports opinion. Why? I don't know, because I was driving that same bandwagon last year that I wanted Ramsey and Henry because I didn't believe there was a round difference between Henry and Elliot. There's not, because there never was and there still isn't. No, here's the thing I said last year. One of the players is an athletic spark freak. The other one is an average athlete. One of the players is a Heisman Trophy winner. The other one is not. Um, I just think that Henry was a such a great prospect last year, but for some reason the NFL decided that because he's bigger and we haven't seen a running back as athletic as him, we're just going to knock him down to the second round. Yeah, we don't know what to make of you because you're too freakishly good. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what happened because that would be like drafting Calvin Johnson in the second round. You know what though, and it it happened because they just they weren't sure how his game was going to translate to the NFL. And I think behind Dallas's offensive line, offensive line, Derek Henry would have put up very similar stats to Ezekiel Elliott, and maybe better stats. I co- listen. I I come. Thank you for saying this. I come from the school of thought that you draft money five positions high. So you draft your quarterback, pass rusher, receiver, cornerbacks, offensive line high. Jalen Ramsey to me was the best player in the entire class. I think he's going to be a future uh, dominant cornerback for 10, 12 years. As good as Ezekiel Elliott was last year, I think you're going to look back two, three, five years from now and say, you know what? Hey, Elliott was great, but Ramsey should have been the pick. And I think, I think Cowboy fans in general thought that Elliott could change the entire dynamic of the Cowboys roster. And he did. I mean, that team was drastically better with Elliott on the field. I'm just not so sure that another running back couldn't have done the same because they were playing Joseph Randall and Darren McFadden the year before, and they were gaining four and a half yards per carry. I don't don't understand why they felt the need to spend a top five pick on a running back when there was a Heisman Trophy winner sitting in the second round. Right, so the perception is that Ezekiel Elliott's value is greater than his production, greater than his efficiency, that he is one of these greater than the sum of his parts player because he ushered in this cultural transformation in the Cowboys locker room. Is that real? Is that something that you observed at all? Something that Derrick Henry would not have helped to usher in? Really? Is there something unique about Ezekiel Elliott that inspired everyone on the roster? Really? No, I mean, the teammates love Zeke. They think of him as the little brother, the jokester of the group. But the real game changer was Dak Prescott. Yes! Prescott was just so much different than any other quarterback they've had besides Romo. He was calm. He was smart. He was actually funny. Teammates just gravitated toward him. I don't think Elliott's the reason why that locker room changed. I, I think Henry could have done the same thing if you put him in the same situation. But, hey, that's revisionist history, I guess. It is revisionist history, and people on YouTube will hate you for saying that. Just that's a okay. warning. I'm warning you right now. They don't like at that. At Marcus underscore Mosher. Just send, them, send all the mean tweets. So many thumbs down. More <laughs> thumbs down than thumbs up by a factor of two. They hate it. That's okay. I tried to tell the people last year, but I, there was just something about the idea that Elliot was a transcendent running back, that we were never going to see another running back like Elliot again, that intrigued people. And I think, I just think Elliot's evaluation was uh, optimistic. Ezekiel Elliott has officially jumped the shark in the <laughs> sports world. That's what's happened. And it's funny, Des Bryant, on the other hand, has become undervalued. I mean, it's the great backwards sports analysis of my lifetime that Ezekiel Elliott would be overrated while Des Bryant is underrated because Des Bryant didn't have the counting stats last year, even though going back through time, Des Bryant was the most efficient wide receiver in football until the injury in 2015. But now he's had a full year and a half to recover. Heading into 2017, he's still in his prime, 28 years old, 
Could Des Bryant return? I'm not saying it's going to happen. Just saying probability-wise, is it reasonable to think that Des Bryant could be a top-five wide receiver again? So his last top-five finish in fantasy leagues was 2014, I believe, when he scored 16 touchdowns. Right. One of the reasons why Des is so fantastic is that he's the best red zone receiver in the NFL today. And he was back in 2011, 2012, when Calvin Johnson was still in the league. This is the best jump ball, back shoulder fade receiver we've seen. Why I'm hesitant to say that he's going to be a top five receiver again is because of Prescott. Not because I don't think Prescott is fantastic. But in the red zone, the Cowboys have opted to run with Elliott and they've opted to run with Prescott rather than throw the ball to Dez. I think how I think how, the reason why Dez is going to struggle is that Prescott just doesn't have the touch and the accuracy to throw those back shoulder fades to hit him on the slants and the tight areas in the red zone. I think it's unlikely Dallas is in a such a run heavy scheme that he's not going to see the 180 targets that Mike Evans is going to see or the Antonio Browns are going to see. He's going to be right around 130, and that's going to hurt him. In his last 10 games last year, he only had 48 catches. So you're relying on a lot of touchdown production for Dez to get back in that top five ranking. It's interesting when you look at quarterbacks versus wide receivers, who's responsible for the production really? It's a chicken and the egg. You can never detangle the quarterback and the wide receiver. They're in a symbiotic relationship. It's a catch-22. They both help each other. But when we're looking at degrees, how much does a quarterback help the wide receiver and vice versa? You look at 2014, player profiler has a metric called production premium, which is your efficiency on every given down and distance on the football field. How do you compare to league average on first and 10 on the 40? How do you compare to league average on second and five on the five? And three wide receivers from the Dallas Cowboys finished in the top five production premium in 2014. It was Des Bryant. It was Cole Beasley. It was Terrence Williams. Three of the most efficient wide receivers in 2014 on a per-play basis were Cowboys. And what do they all have in common? Tony Romo was, was pretty good that year, wasn't he? He was exquisite that year. Tony Romo's play in 2014 was sublime, and that is what fueled Des Bryant's fantasy production. Without Tony Romo, it is very difficult to build a case for Des Bryant to be a top five wide receiver. I just don't see it. Because not only does Des Bryant not have Tony Romo throwing him those pinpoint fades in the back of the end zone, the NFL in general is moving away from the fade. The NFL in general has learned that that slant on the end zone is actually a higher percentage. Seattle was out ahead of the analytics throwing that slant to lock it in the Super Bowl. It didn't work, but that's the most efficient throw in that spot. It's not the fade, and more and more NFL teams are learning that. And as they learn that, the fade is starting to go away. It's starting to fade away. Nice, I like it. So without the fade, Des Bryant is not going to score as many touchdowns, but it helps a certain fella on the Cowboys that I believe may be the most underrated player in the NFL. And that's one of the most efficient wide receivers from 2014, Cole Beasley. Do you agree? Absolutely. Cole Beasley, every year he's been in the NFL, has uh, raised his catch total, yards total. Uh, last year, 75 catches, 833 yards, five touchdowns. Um, I I haven't seen a cornerback cover him yet. I've I've watched every single Cowboy game. I have not seen a single cornerback cover him. Uh, as Prescott's de- Prescott develops, I expect Beasley to become a more focal point of the offense. And as Jason Witten fades out of the offense, Beasley's receptions, targets, yards should go up. Um, I think Beasley is in for a bigger role in 2017. I won't be shocked if he catches 90 passes. He is just one of the most dynamic slot receivers in the league. He's over 11 yards per catch, so he's not just a dink and dunk guy. He's making plays um, after the catch. He he is a decent red zone receiver in terms of efficiency. I love him. I don't think there's anybody in the division that can cover him. I don't think there's anybody in the league that can stay with him. 3.9 yards per target after the catch. So he's averaging essentially four yards after every catch. That's exceptional. His 378 yards after the catch last year was number 15 in the NFL. Why? Because he's explosive. 
He has a 127.6, 83rd percentile burst score on playerprofiler.com, which combines the vertical jump and the broad jump into one equally weighted metric. That's Cole Beasley. This guy just knows how to play football, and he's a much better athlete than anyone ever talks about. Have you seen him dunk a basketball? Woo! I've, I've personally seen him dunk a basketball. I've seen him go between his legs and dunk a basketball. I've seen him do a reverse dunk. I mean, he, he is an incredible athlete. He is an incredible athlete. So if you're in a dynasty league, he's already turned 28, so he's technically past the age apex, but he's essentially what you wanted. He is going to play that Wes Welker role in the Cowboys offense for the next few years and be a volume slot receiver. That's what we want in fantasy. We want volume. Well, we're going to get volume with Cole Beasley in the slot for the next two or three years. So he's the perfect target in Dynasty. You can get him in the later rounds of startups. Beasley, Willie Sneed, Jamison Crowder. These are players that are perceived to be underwhelming athletes but yet they're in positions to score monster fantasy points tethered to Dak Prescott, Drew Brees, Kirk Cousins. So talking about the NFL draft, we talked about the Cowboys' big board, some fascinating behind-the-scenes nuggets. Who should they draft in the first round, and who will they draft in the first round? So we know that their defense, or their excuse me, their draft board is going to be heavy with defensive players. They've only brought in, again, three total offensive players, um, Excuse me, Adam Shaheen, Curtis Samuel, Juju Smith. Those are the only three offensive players. They brought in Adam Shaheen? They did. They actually... Wow! From Ashland? Yes, I talked to a scout uh, last week, and they are hoping and praying he gets to 60, because that'll be they, that'll absolutely be a lock. It doesn't matter who's on the board. They would love to see Shaheen available at 60 to them at the bottom of the second round. The second round? Ashland's own Adam Shaheen? 280-pound tight end that can run, man. That's exactly what they want. I know. This guy's a... We love Adam Shaheen at Player Profiler. I just didn't know any NFL teams liked Adam Shaheen as much as we do. Oh, he's going in the second round. I can promise you that. There's, I know for sure there's at least five teams that would take him in the top 50. Oh. Now, it depends how the draft board falls, but he is, he is the consensus number three tight end in the class. And there's some teams that have him ahead of Najoku. They absolutely love Shaheen. <laughs> Excuse me, what? Ahead of Njoku? They do. They love it because he can block. And that's the thing that NFL teams care about. If you can block, you are going to get on the field right away. Wow. We had Matthew Friedman from Rotoviz and Fantasy Labs on the show. He's a huge Cowboys fan. And he was dismissive of the small school tight end. Little did he know that his own Cowboys were considering drafting Adam Shaheen from Ashland in the second round. I love it. So they're going to go defense in the first round, potentially tight end in the second round. I agree with both of those selections. They need defense. There's more good defensive players in this draft, and there are good offensive players. And they need a tight end with Jason Witten turning 34. So does Jason Witten have juice left? Well, that's a tough question. They just signed Witten to a four-year deal yeah. a couple weeks ago. What was up with that? Obviously, they think he can stick around and play for a while, but last year was the second year in a row. Witten was under 10 yards per catch. Uh, he's about 60 catches per season, only six touchdowns the past two years. Clearly, he's declining as a player, and they need to get another tight end in there. Um, and I think that's why they're interested in Shaheen. But Witten's going to be phased out as the years come along. And I think as Prescott grows, they're going to want to be a little bit faster on offense. So Shaheen makes sense in the sense that he can get down the field. He can stretch the seams. Um, they love Rico Gathers. We'll see what happens with Rico. So you like Rico Gathers too. Why do you like Rico Gathers? Well, for the same reasons I like Shaheen, because this is a guy that literally played hundreds of snaps at offensive tackle for the Cowboys on the practice squad. Jason Garrett absolutely loves him. He's got the size. He's 280 pounds at six foot eight. Uh, Byron Jones said that he ate up the first string defense last year during the season with Tony Romo. Um, again, if you can get on the field for Dallas by blocking, at least you're going to have a chance to do something. I think he's a much better option than James Hanna or Jeff Swain behind Witten. He's got more of the uh, athleticism that they want in their tight ends. 
I just think Rico has a chance to be, if everything hits, he has a chance to be one of those top 10 fantasy tight ends because of the situation, because of the athletic ability, and because of how much the Cowboys use their tight end in the passing game. He played basketball at Baylor. Yes. So he's on that ex-basketball player fast track that we like to put our tight ends on. There's a couple players in the NFL that are on this exact track. Demetrius Harris in Kansas City. If anything happens to Travis Kelsey, you need to know who Demetrius Harris is. We all know now who Eric Swoop is after the Colts traded Dwayne Allen to New England, and you need to know Rico Gathers. Jason Witten just turned 35, actually. So he just he's already 35, and he signed a four-year deal. So if he lives out his whole contract, he's 39. Tony Gonzalez was 38 when he retired. So Tony Gonzalez didn't even make it to 39. Hell if Jason Witten's going to make it to age 39. That's not going to happen. If the Cowboys don't end up drafting Adam Shaheen because another team was eager to get the tight end from Ashland in the second round. This is unbelievable to me. I love this. <laughs> and Rico Gathers is the guy behind Jason Witten, and he would step into the perfect situation for a fantasy tight end if anything happens to, to Witten. So Rico Gathers is a guy that I'm stashing in deep dynasty leagues. Absolutely, that's the type of profile we chase with our tight ends. And real quick, um, James Hanna missed all of last year with a knee injury. He's still not cleared to run, so he probably won't be ready for OTAs, training camp, all that kind of stuff. Jeff Swain, Witten's backup last year, he broke his fifth metatarsal last week working out. Get out of here. I don't want to talk about he's No, he doesn't. Pro he's the problem is, is he he's injured, and that's going to leave a lot of snaps open in OTAs, training camp, for another tight end to step in. If Rico can seize that role in OTAs, offseason stuff, he could quickly find himself on the field. Oh, so he could. What you're saying is there's a path for him to get significant snaps. Correct. Even with a healthy Witten. Yes. Ah. The Cowboys use a tight, two tight end set more than any other team in the league. Oh, they that's their base offense. So if Rico can surpass those guys in the offseason, he's going to be on the field for Dallas. And they've shown that they like to use tight ends in the red zone. They've used the worst tight end I've ever seen, Gavin Escobar, in the red zone. They used Martellus Bennett, Anthony Fasano. So I think Gathers could have a role as soon as this season. 6-6. Six, six. He's now 280? 280. I know he was there at the season he was about 295. They want him to cut down a little bit, but wow, the NFL is just evolving. <laughs> we now have athletic 280-pound tight ends. That's incredible. I looked at the Vegas lines, odds to win the Super Bowl. Dallas Cowboys 8 to 1 to win it all this season. That's second to the Patriots who are 5 to 1. But should the Cowboys be favored over Atlanta to win the NFC? No, and I don't think they should be favored over Green Bay because they haven't shown the ability to stop elite quarterbacks. I don't see they, – they play both Green Bay and Atlanta this year during the regular season. I just don't think they have enough talent on defense to slow down either offense. Um, until they draft better on defense and until they get some playmakers up front on their defensive line, I don't see them getting to a Super Bowl. They need to drastically upgrade their entire defensive roster. What's the deal with Jalen Smith? Is he ever going to materialize? They are going to have, try to have Jalen Smith play with a brace, and we'll see how that goes. No player in the NFL has ever played with an AFO brace to help drop foot. So they're hoping, they're praying, but I don't think it's realistic that he makes a difference in 2017 for them. Second round pick last year. Ouch. Could have been Derrick Henry. Could have been Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas is another guy they loved. Could have been Michael Thomas. Could have been Michael fucking thomas it's close oh my god oh no i'm sorry cowboys fans that's close oh it took the guy that was out for the year oh, 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 oh. and all michael thomas did was set records in new orleans right hey, hey yeah what did he do last year michael thomas michael schmamas so i have a conspiracy theory i want to run by you so i believe the jets will cut eric decker because he's owed over eight million dollars this year and they'll save over five million against the cap by cutting him before june 1st and the jets have revealed to us that they are in tank mode they are following the cleveland browns lead so if they cut eric decker where will he sign dallas perhaps I would love it. I think if you could put the two best red zone receivers on the same team, it would be deadly. And I think he fits perfectly as a Z receiver. 
He is a guy that can win on the outside. He can win in the slot. He's got the size to win on the slants, on the digs, on the comebacks, all routes that the Cowboys like to use a lot in their Eric Coriel offense. As great of a fit as it is, they love Terrence Williams. I don't think I don't see them moving on from Terrence Williams and putting him as the fourth receiver. Oh my God! I, I think Decker's a great player. I think he's a top twenty receiver in the league. But I just don't think it makes sense in Dallas. As much as it hurts both of us because we love their, uh, Eric Decker so much, they love Williams. They, they absolutely love Williams. They would pass over Eric Decker because they just love Terrence Williams so much. They do. <laughs> oh, no, no! That's almost as bad as the uh, Texans passing on Romo because they love Savage and Whedon. Uh, it oh, doesn't make sense, does it? Oh, we just we can't justify paying Eric Decker. We can't justify paying Tony Robo. We're good with the guys we got. Oh, NFL front offices. I just don't understand what they are doing. My team stay bad. Can you imagine being a defensive back facing the Cowboys with Eric Decker? So you have some really bad options as a defensive back. You can either go and cover Des Bryant one-on-one because that always works out really well. Or you can go on the other side and you're facing rub routes and crossing routes from Beasley and Decker. Just guys executing routes with precision on one side. And on the other side, you have a guy. He's going to bully defenders. He's just going to bully him every snap. Who will bully you on every snap and out-athlete you on any given jump ball. That sounds like a nightmare for defensive backs. I agree. But, hey, Terrence Williams. Little hands. (laughs) going to... Going to block really well. Again, hey, this is the whole theme of this podcast. If you can block for the Cowboys, you're going to get on the field. It doesn't matter what else you can do. If you can block, that's the most important thing because they're going to run the ball 450 times every year. You got to be able to block first. We don't care if you have great hands and if you're an elite talent, you're just going to block. Dallas Cowboys motto, just block, baby. My tweets are both interesting and hilarious. I am one of the best fantasy analysts. If there was a Top Gun flight school for fantasy analysts in Miramar, California, I would be invited. What the fuck is going on here? Get me on the couch.